the service industry. That's something that we've really tried to focus on here on Culture Shift, as we've seen it completely upturned over the past four months. We feel like they're a, a huge part of the state of arts and culture and food, which is things that we cover here. So Amanda LeClaire is live in studio with me to, to dive into this issue around unions and the service industry. Amanda, a pleasure. That's right, Ryan. Right now we're facing this unprecedented time in so many sectors of business, but almost none more so than the food industry. Workers who uh, decide and are able to return to work right now are risking exposure to the coronavirus, and those who can't or decide the risk is too much are facing uh, the end of their employment and the end of unemployment benefits. And still other restaurants and food corporations are reckoning with accusations of racism and sexual discrimination from employees. After years of the food industry being one of the least unionized in the nation, is it time for service industry employees to unionize on a large scale? So right now we are going to be talking with Sam Block, a writer for the website The Counter, which follows news across the food industry nationally. And we've also got Tracy Pease, a Detroit ambassador for the group One Fair Wage, who also, Tracy, you have 30 years of experience working in the service industry. Welcome you both to uh, Culture Shift. Hello, Amanda. Hey, Amanda. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here, Sam. So uh, we also want to hear from you, our listeners. Are you a cook, a waitstaff, bartender, or fast food worker? And what are your major concerns about your job right now? Do you feel like this is the time to unionize this industry? You can call us. We'd love to have you join the conversation at 313-577-1019. So let's start off first with uh, Sam. In August of last year, uh, I'm going to directly quote from this article that you wrote for The Counter. There were over 12 million people working in American restaurants, and that includes servers, cooks, supervisors, people employed in other capacities. You got those statistics from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So even before the situation that restaurants and the larger food industry is finding itself in today because of the coronavirus, unionization was nearly unheard of for this industry. So, Sam, can you take us back to what you found when you looked into this and why it's been difficult for unions to take root in this industry? Yeah, part of why I wanted to look into this in the first place is because I felt like about a year or two, or maybe even earlier, there's the, I was perceiving just the sense that unions were, again, becoming more attractive and more popular to younger people who were really um, disenfranchised, who were feeling like their economic outlook was not very good. And historically, labor unions have been an engine to pull a lot of working people into the middle class and give them a lot of security. So it seemed to me that unionizing would just, in a way, I and mean, maybe it seems naive, but would be the obvious thing to do for someone who's a working person and wants to improve their working conditions and their earnings. When I started talking to um, historians and to labor organizers and other people who sort of track um, restaurant unions, what I found is that the reason why we only see 1.3% of um, restaurant workers in full service establishments, members of unions, is in part because the restaurant industry has just grown so much since the sort of heyday of restaurant unions maybe 50 years ago. You know, back then, I think Americans spent less than 30% of their food expenditures away from home, and these days it's more than half. So you have a restaurant industry that has basically expanded so much that arguably unionization hasn't been able to keep up. And that's particularly the case when it comes to fast food. 
And Tracy, as a, a Detroit ambassador for One Fair Wage, which has been trying to push a higher minimum wage, especially for fast food workers for the past you know, 10 or so years, also with all of your experience in, working in the service industry, what I want to hear your input on that. Why has it been difficult to unionize the service industry? Well, you know, Amanda, I I worked for one one place um, that was unionized. It was in 1984, and it was um, at uh, Yesterday's Lounge, which was inside uh, the Days Inn Hotel in Belfield. All right, so it was a huge, you know, it. This was this was a huge uh, industry. You had your hotel workers and you had your bar workers, um, and it was easier to unionize that way. This here is you you've got you've got places like McDonald's, right? They're not all owned by one parent company. They're franchises, so it makes it difficult to go ahead and unionize franchise stores. That's what the problem is, is that it's not just one, you know, one big corporation. There's a lot, a lot of different, a lot of different corporations, a lot of different businesses that are. Yeah, uh, small all, businesses. Yeah, especially small businesses, too. So we want to take your calls. We're talking to, by the way, Sam Block from the website, The Counter. Also to Tracy Pease, a Detroit ambassador for One Fair Wage. If you are a service industry worker and would like to tell us about your major concerns with your job right now, Call us at 313-577-1019 to uh, join the conversation. We do have a caller on the line, Kevin from Port Huron. Kevin, welcome to Culture Shift. Hey. Hey. Uh, how's it going? Oh, it's going well. So you have been trying to start a workers' union after the COVID-19 breakout up in Port Huron. Tell us about your experiences. Yeah, um, I work at a hotel in Port Huron, and I lost my job after COVID because I wouldn't go back Um the it's a it's run by a corporation and the the corporate manager basically said that covid was a conspiracy theory and that um that i should come back to work which i refused and then after that i've tried to to talk to different employees of different restaurants in the area and get a union going but largely i have no support from anyone else in the industry except like other people who are worried about how COVID is going to affect the future of, of the service industry. But mostly they're, the people that I talk to are afraid that they'll lose their job or um, they'll, they'll be reprimanded somehow for, for trying to start a union. Mm-hmm. Well, that's been the history of unions, as we've seen in, uh, you know, in Detroit here with the Detroit auto industry. Um, murders, in fact, of uh, people trying to start unions way back in the day. Tracy and mm-hmm. Sam, uh, from what you've been hearing from from folks on the ground, why are they afraid to to organize? Well, yeah, I mean, you, you look at servers, right? Um, restaurant servers. Very so, you know, you can say, ah, they live week to week. No, they live pretty much day to day. All right. They live on their tips, um, which is why, you know, we are asking for one fair wage. Um, why are they, you know, it's, it's difficult. These people need their jobs. They need their jobs. 
So when you go ahead and you talk to a server and you ask them to, whether it's to call out the restaurant they're working for or start a union, they're scared. They don't want to lose their job. And that is the whole issue. They will lose their job. And if they go ahead and try to get anybody else involved, well, now, you you know, your manager, the owner, whoever, will fire you. No skin off their nose. They're, they're only paying you, what, $3.82 an hour? You know, this has become a bigger issue in recent years, uh, like I mentioned before, with the uh, the beginning of one fair wage, which of trying to raise the minimum wage for fast food employees especially. If, Sam, uh, in your article, you, uh, you talk a lot about Andrea Ocasio-Cortez and now Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, three very large names nationally and politically, have brought this issue to a bigger national platform than uh, we have seen in decades past. Uh, yeah, that's right. And I think that they're picking up on what um, Tracy's saying about just the whole issue of the tip minimum wage. I mean, there are only a few states that guarantee the minimum wage for service workers. Everywhere else we're dependent. Seven. Seven. Okay. And then I think Flagstaff, Arizona. And then uh, I know Washington, D.C. tried to pass it, uh, but the city council overturned it. You have these workers who are um, dependent basically on the will of customers. And I do think when I talk to people who are trying to organize in the restaurant industry, there is this sort of strange sense as to who, you know, who you're responsible, who's responsible for you and who you're answering to, which maybe you could argue that a union would actually be really helpful there insofar as you basically have someone in your corner standing up for you. But, you know, to the point about people just needing to make money, I think a lot of people are afraid. Yeah, if they organize, I mean, you're not, that's a legally protected right to form a union and to organize, but you can be fired for all kinds of reasons. You can be fired because you're a bad fit. Yeah, and you know, Amanda, one thing that COVID has taught us, okay, in the service industry is that we cannot live on two or three dollars an hour, okay? In the state of Michigan, it's $3.82 an hour. Now, before COVID hit, servers did not qualify for unemployment, did not qualify for unemployment because they only make $3.82 an hour, did not qualify for unemployment. So now you have servers that have gone back to work, and because they were asked, to go back because uh, their place of employment told them, okay, it's time to come back to work now. Now they can no longer get unemployment. They're back uh, waiting tables at $3.82 an hour with, and, and not being protected at all. They have to go ahead and wear masks, but the clients don't. Now, with the uh, executive order and the mandate that Governor Whitmer um, push, uh, put through yesterday, I am still hearing about owners and about managers saying, you know what, we are not going to kick our clients out. We are not going to kick our customers out if they don't wear a mask. You're putting the server's life in danger, and, and for what, $3.82 an hour? 
this is why we need one fair wage. Yeah, it's it's really not worth it for a lot of service industry employees. And and Tracy Tracy P is a Detroit ambassador for One Fair Wage. We're also talking with Sam Block, a writer for the website The Counter. Here in Michigan, you know, Sam, you bring up the point uh, of people being let go without reason. We're an at-will employment state, so that that can happen here in Michigan. I want to propose this conver- this this question to to you, Sam and Tracy. Is the counter argument? from restaurant owners, from from the leaders of this industry, that the, the margins are slim, that to be able to have a union would eat away at their at their profits? I've been hearing that. I've been hearing that same excuse from every industry. No, it's not going to eat at their pro- profits. It's going to hold them accountable to making sure that the people that are being, the people that are serving people, that they're going to be protected. I, I, you know, saying that, and you hear that all the time with unions. Oh, this is going to eat at my profit. No, it's not. No, it's not. If you got to go ahead and raise, if you got to go ahead and raise your uh, prices an extra fifty cents to go ahead and make sure that somebody is being taken care of and having a livable wage, I'll pay the extra fifty cents. Well, S- Sam, do you uh, see do you see restaurants willing to increase their prices and customers willing to pay higher prices if they know that people are getting a fair wage? Only on sort of rare anecdotal occasions have I heard of that happening. I mean, you will find every once in a while a restaurateur or an owner or manager who is convinced that helping their workers is going to be um, an attractive um, proposition to customers who want to feel good about supporting, you know, a socially conscious business. To Tracy's point, though, about um, franchises making union drives very difficult, um, there's a whole sort of separate legal issue there about who is responsible for the worker and, and who has to go to the bargaining table. But what I will say is that in terms of eating into the profit margin, that you have these franchise owners. I mean, I think 92% of all McDonald's, for example, are operated by independent businessmen who pay a fee to use the McDonald's branding and, and use McDonald's food and things like that. They consider themselves independent businessmen. So if you have a union at your shop and the workers are asking to get paid more, you're basically cutting into a profit margin and costs that aren't entirely your choice. A lot of this is dictated by a corporation way above you. So I do think you will hear that argument, um, particularly in the fast food place. Well, not to bring up uh, too much of a little history lesson, but uh, as we've grown up in Michigan, the you know the state where unions became you know a thing it brought in the middle class and then brought in people who had disposable income which would then raised up all the other industries in turn so i want to bring in a caller we've got devin from detroit right now we are taking calls at 313-577-1019 devin welcome to culture shift hi there um thanks for taking my call i just wanted to say that the presenters are bringing up a lot of really important points The biggest issue, there's two really huge issues that are facing our restaurant workers, our service and hospitality people, is that they, most of them do not have health insurance at all. And they're being forced to go into a situation where their health is at risk when they do not have funding or insurance to be able to take care of it. If they were to get COVID, a union would help them in being able to make sure that they have health insurance. There's only a few places in the city that even offer health insurance to their employees, one of which is Selden Standard. 
There's a couple other places that dropped out of it because it's very cost prohibitive for them to do so. Additionally, a lot of restaurant employees and managers are being asked to come back to work, put their lives on the line for people's luxury and not get paid for it. So they're still staying on unemployment, but being expected to perform a labor that they're not being paid for. And this is an issue. Devin, it's something that we've talked about before on the show. It's, it's an emotional labor, too, because it's, it's a very performative industry. And you mm-hmm. mentioned, uh, as we took your call, that you have friends working in the service industry. I'm just curious, you know, what, what are the feelings? What, what are they expressing to you having to, to be in these work, these work environments? Uh, they're all terrified. Um, <laughs> I have a friend that works at Public House in Ferndale, and they offer masks to people who come into the restaurant. They gave one to a man a few weeks ago and he came back with it and having written go F yourselves on it to the people working. So it's a very toxic environment for my friends at this moment. Many of them have been working through the pandemic but not getting paid for it. Even after you know the reopening of things, they're still not getting paid for it. Um, they just need to shut the restaurants down. Like, this is ridiculous. I've heard from multiple uh, healthcare employees that the people that they're testing and the people who are coming in to get COVID testing and testing positive are overwhelmingly restaurant and bar staff. So, we're talking about a population that doesn't have any health insurance, they have no collective bargaining yeah. rights at all. And they're all getting, they're all being forced to serve people and getting COVID. And then they can't afford to take care of it or take care of themselves. It's a disgrace. My daughter works in, my daughter works in the restaurant industry. And she's not happy about this at all. Because she can't go ahead and tell a customer, you're not wearing a mask. I'm not serving you. Because then the manager can go ahead and say, you're not going to serve that customer. Then we don't need you. And this is something that has been going on for a very long time. This is just one one more thing, one more thing that restaurant workers or servers have to deal with. You know, they, they have the highest rate of uh, sexual harassment because they're working for their damn tip. They're not working for $3.82 an hour. They're working for the extra two, three, four dollar tip that they might get on that table. This is why we need to give our restaurant workers one fair wage. And, you know, the United States House of Representatives passed it. They passed raise the wage. Mitch McConnell will not let it go through. What we have seen with COVID is that we cannot live on $3 an hour. That Tracy, I appreciate that point. That's Tracy Pease, a Detroit ambassador for One Fair Wage. She was just talking about right there. We're also talking to Sam Block, a writer for the website The Counter. And uh, I want to thank Devin in Detroit for that phone call. That was really, really insightful. And we have another call. Billy in Detroit, you're on Culture Shift. Hi. What's, I just, go ahead. I wanted to bring up the, uh, the fact that uh, when back in the day when the unions began, they always offered training for the employees. So you had a ready work staff. It was beneficial to the big corporation. You could get walk-in people that already knew the tasks that they were supposed to do, or they at least had the basic knowledge of the tape measures and, you know, 
in the restaurant industry, it would be general basic table approaches and sales techniques, and all of those things would be ready to go. If you got more, if you got busier and your restaurant started to grow, you could just call the union and get more people that already knew what they were supposed to do. They would just show up and immediately increase your profits. That, that is how I grew up. I worked for union as a kid, and uh, I, w- I was taught all kinds of things as a metal fabricator. Basic knowledge, and when I showed up, and that came from your dues. You didn't have to pay extra for that. You, you paid your dues, and they gave you classes all the time, especially if you were laid off. They just offered you classes where you could advance your tier, what level of employee you could be. You could go from a, you could go from a basic uh, B welder to a uh, journeyman welder while you were laid off, which means next time you got called back to work, you'd make a lot more money than you did before just because you had the training. Billy in Detroit, raising the point that unions can help corporations and independent owners by making the staff a little bit smarter, a little more skilled and, and ready to go. Now, Sam and Tracy, I just want to propose a quick question to you before we let you go. We've got a good understanding of the history, how we got here, what's going on today. Sam, go ahead and, and forecast in the next year, two years. Is unionization in this industry more realistic? Well, first of all, I'm a reporter, not a forecaster. But I will say that the conditions are there right now for workers to realize that they need a lot of help. They need a lot of protection. They need things like the call we're just mentioning. They need training. They need support. And those are things that unions have historically always provided for them. If in this moment, workers don't see the benefits of having a union to stand up for them and to help them in these ways, um, I'm not sure when else they would. And Tracy, uh, for yourself, as someone who is working with One Fair Wage, what do you forecast happening? I, I mean, do we need... Do we need the government to step in and offer that health care, offer those benefits, you know, in this time at least? Um, well, again, you know, I'm not a forecaster either, but what I would what I would say is this. This is an awesome time for uh, restaurant workers to go ahead and, and try to unionize. Um, and absolutely, um, we should be not we should be paying our servers, at least a minimum wage, $15 an hour is what has been passed in the House of Representatives. We should be paying our, our servers um, $15 an hour. And absolutely, if they, if they are being required to come to work during a pandemic such as this year, they need to be, able, they need to be having, the, uh, they need to have insurance. Absolutely. Because you can't go ahead and tell an employee, well, I want to see your doctor's note. Okay, you want to see my doctor's note? Well, are you going to pay for the doctor? Yeah, exactly. Uh, they yeah. need, they need um, one, one fair wage. And I would hope that they would go ahead and um, a lot of uh, restaurant servers would go ahead and, and try to unionize. Sure. And well, if they need help, call Rock United. 
Tracy, thank you so much. We appreciate you both for being on Culture Shift. We've been talking to Sam Block, a writer for the website The Counter, which follows news across the food industry nationally, and with Tracy Pease, the Detroit ambassador for One Fair Wage, also a 30-year vet of the service industry here in Metro Detroit. You are listening to Culture Shift on 1019 WDET. Lots more coming up after the break. We'll discover some new music together with John Mosier and his pick of the week. And lots more coming up. It's 1019 WDET.